1: doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers Bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans.
0: This is always right on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host,
2: Bob France. Yes indeed, good morning. Thanks for joining us. And we are underway On this Monday at 8 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock, it is the 18th morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. I hope you had a wonderful, wonderful Easter weekend filled with family and uh, reflection and celebration of the Risen Lord. Uh, so glad to be back with you live. We were, of course, on a best of on Good Friday. So a lot of things have happened between then and now, so we don't have a whole lot of time to waste here. We've got three hours of very important conversation to have with you. Coming up on our program in one hour, we're going to talk with the Secretary of State in the state of Ohio, Frank LaRose, about a host of things, not the least of which is, once again, Republican on paper only, and I'm going to borrow that line from Jack Windsor. Uh, He wrote about it in the Ohio uh, Press Network that Maureen O'Connor, the Chief Justice of the state of Ohio Supreme Court, uh, is a Republican on paper. And I like that. That's good phrasing because we're, we always hear Rhino, Republican in name only, but she's a Republican on paper, not in practice, clearly. She sided with the Democrats again, ordering a fourth revision and a fifth rejection of the district lines that are supposed to be drawn with the majority party, the Republican Party, uh, being allowed to have the deciding vote. I mean, that's the bottom line here. The party that is in power, that has the majority on the redistricting commission, votes on this thing, and guess what? There's more, um, uh, there's more Republicans than there are Democrats by design. They get to make the decisions, and the, as long as they do it constitutionally, which they clearly are, that's how it's supposed to be. But she keeps siding with the Democrats. She wants to give the Democrats the actual control, or she wants to draw them herself, which is, by the way, Miss Chief Justice, or Madam Chief Justice of the Ohio Supreme Court, unconstitutional. That is not how this is supposed to work. We're going to talk to the Secretary of State about that. We're also going to talk to him about where we stand from a legal standpoint around a host of issues, including the investigation of Joe Blystone uh, and the uh, the um, $101,000 he is supposed to, he has been ordered to repay in illegal campaign contributions. And then the, the 130000 that follows that, which he has to answer for and may have to repay those as well, there is supposed to be a hearing on this before the election on May 3rd. There isn't going to be one, and so a lawsuit has been filed. We talked about this in some depth last week on Thursday. But a lawsuit has been filed to force uh, um, the exped- uh, uh, expediting of the hearing on Joe Blystone. So that's a big deal. We're going to ask the Secretary of State where that stands. Blystone's campaign had until April 15th, tax day, to reply. That was three days ago now. We'll find out if he has and where that goes and why this thing hasn't been expedited by the Ohio Elections Commission. So that is all coming up with Frank LaRose in an hour at uh, 1010. And then at uh, 1035, same hour, Jack Windsor, the aforementioned uh, editor and publisher and founder of, The Ohio Press Network will be joining us to talk a little bit about J.D. Vance, the endorsement that has rocked the Ohio Senate race. And we'll also talk about Bob Paduchik, the Ohio Republican Party chair, who is serving, apparently, not the Ohio Republican Party, not the people who are Ohio Republicans, but one candidate and somebody who is going to help his career. There is a huge story brewing there that Jack Windsor has uncovered, and he's going to tell us uh, what Bob Paduchek, the ORP chairman, is up to. He is the guy, of course, as you know, who forced through uh, the vote uh, to endorse Governor Mike DeWine for re-election, despite the horrific record that he has as governor of the state of Ohio. And in fact, uh, didn't even require Mike DeWine to be there at the OR—excuse me, not the O well yeah, the ORP meeting, but the state central committee meeting. Uh, in February, where DeWine was indeed endorsed. Didn't require him to be there because he knew he would be booed. He knew that Mike DeWine is so wildly unpopular. But Bob Paduchik has been uh, doing some pretty crazy things on behalf of himself and a candidate or two, according to what we have been told. And uh, Jack Windsor is going to explain it all. So a lot of Ohio politics on the program today. Frank LaRose at 1010. Jack Windsor at 1035. All in Ohio political stories, and we're going to start with one of those coming up here in the opening monologue, which will follow our traditional daily Pledge of Allegiance. So, patriots, I ask you to rise and face your flag if you have one. If you do not, that is okay. But go ahead and uh, rise and put your hand on your heart and join us for our pledge. If you are a leftist, if you are a Brandon supporter... If you believe that the economy is roaring back, as Democrat strategist Donna Brazil claims that the Democrats are going to run on this roaring economy and 8.5% inflation, you don't have any idea what this country is all about anyway. So you are uh, excused from standing for the pledge. We know you'd rather kneel next to your favorite ex-quarterback instead. So while you do that, the rest of us will say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic
0: for which it stands, one nation, under God,
2: indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So let's dive into Ohio politics right now, starting with, as mentioned, the endorsement that rocked the Senate race. If you did not know about this part of it, There was a letter once word had uh, surfaced and began to circulate that Donald Trump was going to endorse J.D. Vance in the United States GOP Senate primary race. Uh, Once that word... And I kind of told you this about, what, four or five weeks ago? I even asked J.D. Vance about it when I had him on. I said, I just read a tweet from Donald Trump Jr., very strongly supportive of you. It didn't actually contain an endorsement, but it was a huge defense of you against the attacks um, that have been levied against you by, you know, uh, or about your uh, anti Trumpism, your never Trumpism, if you will. You said you were a never Trump guy, you would uh, hold your breath and vote for Hillary over him, you ended up voting for Evan McMullen instead, and blah, blah, blah. And I asked him about that. I said, Donald Trump Jr. came out super strong for you in a tweet, JD Vance. Um, do you think this means an endorsement from 45 is coming? And J.D. very deftly dodged it and said, you know, he's, he, has no, he would certainly welcome it, but he has no idea about that, blah, blah, blah. But I said there's, there's, this thing doesn't happen in a vacuum. A Don Jr. tweet in support of J.D. Vance doesn't happen without the approval of Don Sr. That's my view, because you cannot imagine... Donald Trump Jr. tweeting something so strongly in support of one Ohio Senate candidate only to find out later that his dad, the former president, is going to endorse somebody else in that race. So I, I said firmly to J.D., and I said it on the air to you, that Don Jr.'s very strong statement in support of J.D. Vance is going to mean an endorsement from Donald Trump. That's four or five weeks ago. Here we are now. Indeed, it has happened. Well, once word came around that it was going to happen, and it was very likely to happen, a whole bunch of activists and supporters of the other candidates in this race put their little heads together and wrote a letter to President Trump. They wrote this letter before the endorsement was given, asking him or demanding that he not endorse J.D. Vance. Endorse anybody else or endorse nobody, but do not endorse J.D. Vance. They they put their little heads together and said, collectively we might be able to have an influence here. Individually, none of us is going to get the endorsement over JD, but collectively, maybe we can stop him from endorsing JD Vance. I want to read this letter to you because I think it's relevant here. Okay, dear pray. If you haven't heard this, if you've already heard this, then I apologize for the redundancy, but it's good to hear again so you know really what went on. And if you haven't heard it yet, then this is important. Dear President Trump. We, the undersigned leaders of the Republican Party in Ohio, and then parenthetically, County GOP Chairs and Ohio GOP State Central Committee men and women, are writing to urge you not to endorse J.D. Vance, as has been reported by national news outlets. Those of us on this letter have not all endorsed or supported any one candidate for U.S. Senate, Rather, this group rep- represents supporters of multiple candidates, with the notable exception of J.D. Vance. So I want to pause there. So, again, the, I, I didn't mean to suggest, if I did, that this letter was written by the other opponents of J.D. Vance in this primary, but, again, by supporters of all of the other candidates. So when I say they put their little heads together, I didn't mean that Jane Temkin and Mike Gibbons and Josh Mandel and Matt Dolan all you know, met and said, here's what we'll do, but supporters of each of them did. Does that makes sense? The letter continues. Ohio Republicans have supported your efforts in 2016 and in 2020 and helped to deliver Ohio for you by over eight points each time. We know there are many qualified candidates in this race who have stood up for the America First agenda over the years and have carried the Trump mantle over the years, again with the notable exception of J.D. Vance. While we are working hard in Ohio to support you and make America great again, J.D. Vance was actively working against your candidacy. He referred to your supporters as racists and proudly voted for Evan McMullen in 2016. Importantly, J.D. Vance is not a registered Republican. To have someone who has not voted in a Republican primary, carrying the mantle for the party is troubling. With only a few short weeks until Election Day, an endorsement that cuts against your support and legacy in Ohio will only serve to confuse or upset voters. While primaries are a difficult process at times, They are necessary for our democracy, and we are confident that a true America First candidate will be victorious on May 3rd. We do not support J.D. Vance for the aforementioned reasons and would urge you not to endorse anyone in this race. Beyond any primary election concerns we have with Vance, there is also a real concern that his previous statements about you will work to suppress the turnout of the Republican base in the general election, further risking a Republican majority in the U.S. Senate. Below are comments made by Vance about you. Trump is exploiting something, but he's exploiting something, but he's also leading the white working class to a very dark place. What Trump is is another opioid. Trump's actual policy proposals such as they are range from immoral to absurd. Vance said he wanted Hillary Clinton to win the general election, teasing voting for Clinton himself and ultimately voting for Never Trump candidate Evan McMullen. I think there's a chance, if I feel like Trump has a really good chance of winning, that I might have to hold my nose and vote for Hillary Clinton. I might vote for this new guy who I really like, Evan McMullen. I can't stomach Trump. I think that he's noxious and is leading the white working class to a very dark place. I hope that Trump is soundly defeated. Ohio has a good track record of electing conservative leaders. Trust our voting electorate to send another fighter to the U.S. Senate. We appreciate your time and attention on this matter. Sincerely, and then there's a list of, eh, if I guessed, three dozen, maybe a little bit more, maybe around 40 or so, um, uh, Republican leaders in the state of Ohio. Again, Central Committee members or county GOP leaders. So that was the letter that was sent to President Trump saying, Don't do this. This is the wrong guy. And by the way, I will have J.D. Vance on live tomorrow morning and I will tell him, ask him about this rather. He knows, of course, about the letter. I'll ask about, uh, you know, how he feels about that. We'll talk about what, what impact the endorsement of Donald Trump will have on this particular race. We'll talk about what the endorsement of Donald Trump means in general to anybody. Because I'm going to be 100% honest with you here. If I'm J.D. Vance, and if I'm anybody right now being endorsed by President Trump, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned, maybe concerned, maybe, I don't know, perplexed, confused a little bit, by the company you keep. What I mean by that is President Trump has made some very, very odd endorsements in his time as an ex-president, even back when he was president in, in, in his own first midterm. President Trump has endorsed people that just make people scratch your head and say, what is he thinking? Including endorsing Dr. Mehmet Oz in Pennsylvania for Senate. Dr. Oz is no, in no way, shape, or form a conservative. And in fact, has many, many, many statements and views that express far-leftism, if you will. And yet he earned Donald Trump's endorsement. How? Why? Morgan Ortega, a former Fox News commentator, in Tennessee, running in the same district against uh, Robbie Starbuck, Robbie Starbuck has been a tremendous Trump supporter, a tremendous America First candidate. He has the endorsement of every strong conservative in, in the country, really, except for the one by President Trump, which went to Morgan Ortega. It makes one wonder, what does it take to get an endorsement from Donald Trump? It almost sounds like you've got to be famous and you've got to be on TV. J.D. Vance is on TV all the time. J.D. Vance made a movie about his own life. Dr. Oz is on TV, has been for for 20 years. Morgan Ortegas came from Fox TV. Almost seems like Donald Trump, the former celebrity host or host of The Celebrity Apprentice, rather, uh, likes fame and people who are famous and who are people who are on TV who get good ratings uh as his endorsed candidates and it makes you wonder what goes into and I'm going to ask JD this very question what goes into a, a Trump endorsement and how much value is placed on it given the fact that he has made some really questionable decisions in other places and I'm not saying that he shouldn't endorse JD Vance here or he should I'm saying that this is a very very questionable period of time in which Donald Trump is making some endorsements that have a lot of people scratching their heads not the least of which the ORP and Republican leaders in Ohio that wrote this letter begging him to not do this. Another person who came really strong against President Trump for this J.D. Vance endorsement is Tom Zawistowski of the We the People convention. Tom Z immediately sent out a press release condemning the selection and begging President Trump to revoke that endorsement for a host of reasons. So it's... um. It's it's getting really interesting as we come. What are we, on the 18th now? So if I do my math, 12 more days of uh, April. So we're 15 days, just barely over two weeks away from voting on. I know early voting is, of course, already going on. But we're just barely two weeks away for uh, from uh, May 3rd and, and making this decision. And uh, it's getting really, really interesting now. I welcome your reactions to this, your thoughts on the Trump endorsement of J.D. Vance. Do you support it? You oppose it? Are you indifferent toward it? Well, it changed the way you vote. If you were on the fence between Vance and Mandel or Gibbons or Timken or anybody or Dolan, if you were on the fence, does the endorsement of forty-five push you over the fence to the Vance side, or maybe it has a converse, uh, uh, inverse effect to you? Maybe you were kind of leaning toward Vance. And uh, or, or, excuse me, you're on the fence, rather. And this uh, tip toward toward Vance, and you don't trust the t- uh, Trump endorsement, maybe he pushes you to Gibbons or Mandel or someone. Very curious to hear how that plays out for you. 216 901 888 Give me a call. 928 AM 1420 The Answer on Always Right Radio. Appreciate you being with us this morning. So the, uh, the, the endorsement of J.D. Vance, I, I gave you the letter from several GOP leaders, county chairs, uh, county GOP chairs, and state central committee members as to why they did not want uh, President Trump to endorse. Here's President Trump's reasons for endorsing J.D. Vance. I'm going to read you his letter. MAGA patriots from across the nation are set to deliver an election landslide for Republicans that will serve as a devastating rebuke of the failures of Joe Biden and the radical left Democrats. In the great state of Ohio, the candidate most qualified and ready to win in November is J.D. Vance. We cannot play games. It's all about winning. Like some others, J.D. Vance may have said some not so great things about me in the past, but he gets it now, and I have seen that in spades. He is our best chance for victory in what could be a very tough race. The Democrats will be spending many millions of dollars, but the good news is that they have a defective candidate who ran for president and garnered exactly 0% in the polls. The bottom line is, we must have a Republican victory in Ohio. This is not an easy endorsement for for me to make because I like and respect some of the other candidates in the race. They've said some great things about Trump, and like me, they love Ohio and love our country. I've studied this race closely, and I think J.D. is the most likely to take out the weak but dangerous Democrat opponent, dangerous because they will have so much money to spend. However, J.D. will destroy him in the debates and will fight for the MAGA movement in the Senate. He's, a strong, he's strong on the border, tough on crime, understands how to use taxes and tariffs to hold China accountable, will fight to break up big tech, and has been a warrior on the rigged and stolen presidential election. J.D. is a Marine who served in the Iraq War, a graduate of The Ohio State University, and earned a law degree from Yale. A great student. With J.D. Vance, Ohio gets both brains and brawn. Ohio has been good to me. I won it twice, really big, and I have likewise been great for the state of Ohio. Let's keep it going. It is time to enter for the entire MAGA movement, the greatest in the history of our country, to unite behind J.D.'s campaign because, unlike so many other pretenders and wannabes, he will put America first. In other words, JD Vance has my complete and total endorsement. He will not let you down. Make America great again. So that's the argument from Donald Trump in favor of JD Vance. I gave you the argument from the opponents of JD Vance and the supporters of other candidates in that race. What say you? two one six nine zero one zero nine four five triple eight two eight one eleven ten. I want your calls next because we've got guests coming up at ten ten including. The uh, Secretary of State of the State of Ohio, Frank LaRose. So join us. Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer.
0: is always left. Tune your radio to the right and find a voice of reason amid the liberal chaos. Always right with Bob France on AM 1420 The Answer.
2: 938 now, AM 1420 The Answer. It is always right radio. So what do you make of what you heard from Donald Trump or what you read from Donald Trump, his endorsement of J.D. Vance? What do you make of the opposition uh, to J.D. Vance? And again, that list was signed by, I mean, I I could read you the list of people who wrote that letter or who put their their signatures to this letter. I don't know whom they they all support. But according to the way the letter was worded, they represent virtually all of the other candidates and want to see anybody other than J.D. Vance get the endorsement of Donald Trump. I completely disagree with that, by the way. I don't think there is any, uh, or excuse me, there are, yeah, I don't think there are any circumstances under which I would support Donald Trump endorsing some of the other candidates in this race. Not all of them. Some of them, though. Uh, I don't like that at all. But mostly what they're saying is don't endorse anybody. Let the people of Ohio figure it out. So let me ask you. You're a voter in Ohio. If you're a Republican voter, tell me how you feel about this endorsement. Uh, by 45 of J.D. Vance. And by the way, as I said earlier on, too, com- especially when you compare it to some of the other endorsements, the questionable endorsements. And again, I'm not condemning Trump for this one. I'm going to see what J.D. says to me tomorrow when he comes on live. But I definitely condemn the endorsement of Dr. Mehmet Oz in Pennsylvania. I definitely condemn the endorsement of Morgan Ortega. There have been some people that Donald Trump has endorsed over the last few years that I'm just, what are you, what are you thinking? I don't know that his, of all of his strengths, for all of his strengths rather, and all of his, uh, accomplishments with President Trump, uh, the one weakness or, or perhaps, perhaps his biggest weakness, outside of maybe the, Toxic language that turns a lot of people off, um, which I could care less about, really. But I I feel like there's a judgment issue, meaning judge of character issue with President Trump. Look at all of the wrong appointments he made to his cabinet when he took over in uh, you know after the election in 2016. Look at how many extraordinarily important cabinet positions he had to fire and rehire new ones because he made really really bad calls. You you can go up and down the line. And then I would say the same thing about endorsements. There are some people who are like, "Wait a minute, huh? How is he America First? How is he or she, uh, you know, pro Trump, pro MAGA, et cetera, et cetera?" I, it's um, it's a mystery in some cases. So, with that history and with that knowledge as a, you know, kind of a backdrop for you, how do you feel about the pick of J D Vance? And again, J D will join me live tomorrow to talk about what this means for him. Uh, that'll be at I want to say nine thirty-five tomorrow. We'll have J D Vance on. So you'll want to be here for that. Navy man Norm is in Strongsville. Up first, hi Norm. Go ahead, sir. You stole my
3: thunder, Bob. I was going to say the exact same thing. Trump made some very very questionable appointments, including Sessions for Attorney General, Christopher Ray as FBI Director, his own Chief of Staff, the retired uh, uh, Marine General. Uh, I don't know who's got his ear, but he may as well have endorsed Anthony Gonzalez. I'm serious. He may as well have endorsed Anthony Gonzalez because J.D. Vance came out very emphatically. I'm a never-Trumper. I hate Trump. I have no use for him. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I support Josh Mandela, as does my wife and quite a number of uh, my veteran friends. I think Josh Mandela, if I'm not mistaken, Bob, was the only one of the candidates that said he believes and still does that the 2020 election was a fraud. Uh, none of the others said that. Not Dolan. Not Timken. You know, not uh,
2: actually. Mr. Actually, Norman, I'm am remembering the um, the Fox Eight debate from a few weeks ago, and whoever the moderator was asked them to raise your hand if you think that the 2020 election was was you know was is final and and accurate. And Dolan was the only one who raised his hand. So the other four, at least by, by answering that question that way, do not believe that the um, that the uh, election was, was accurate and that it was fair, that they do believe it was stolen. And in fact, Trump's statement, I read it a moment ago, and he said something, uh, yeah, uh, for Vance, he said, has been a warrior on the rigged and stolen presidential elections. That's what Trump said. Go ahead.
3: Well, you know, his impression and my impression are two different things. You know, Trump said he won Ohio twice. And uh, I think Tom Zwickowski, uh hit the nail on the head because I read one of his uh, comments on this. Mm-hmm. Trump didn't win Ohio. The people of Ohio won Ohio for Trump. And it's that simple. But like I said, as far as I'm concerned, he may as well have endorsed Anthony Gonzalez for re-election in Congress in our district out here in Strongville. And I am dead set against it. And uh, I am working and i support josh mandel 100 percent. i think he's one of the finest candidates available he's extremely pro-life endorsed by the greater cleveland uh, right to life society and uh just my two cents
2: bob all right norm i appreciate it thank you very much um it's funny i i probably would have said what norm just said about um trump endorsing anthony gonzalez if he had endorsed Jane Timken, I probably would have saved that bullet for that one. That if he had endorsed Jane Timken for this Senate seat, uh, I would say you might as well have endorsed Anthony Gonzalez, because Jane Timken literally came out and defended Anthony Gonzalez after he voted to impeach Donald Trump without due process. But I do understand Norm's point. He's very, very upset about this endorsement of uh, of J.D. Vance, because of Vance's Never Trump Past. Uh TJ's in Cleveland next. Hi, TJ. Go ahead.
4: Yeah, you know, Bob, I have to agree with Trump on this. You know, this whole game is about winning. And I believe Vance, I'm not saying I support him that great, but I think he's got the best chance of winning. You know, he's out there on Tucker Carlson all the time. He has the name recognition. He has a military background. And, you know, with his attacking Trump, i got to think back, and I don't want to be a hypocrite about this. I attack Trump, too. And I remember calling your show uh, with the John McCain remark. You know, he made back in two thousand you know fifteen yeah, there, yeah, yeah, uh, I was against him. I wanted uh, Ted Cruz, anybody but Trump uh Trump made a believer out of me when he got in there. I really believed he was a liberal running as a, a Republican, but he changed my mind with his policies uh Vance has the best chance of winning, so I'm not going to hold that against him what he said in the past, uh or they'll have to hold it against me for what I said in the past about him and 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 Trump is right with Oz. He's got name recognition. He's got a chance of winning, and and I hate to say it, but as bad as a Rhino is, I would still rather have a Rhino than a Tim Ryan, you know, than a liberal. A I mean, Rhino you know, over
2: a Ryan, huh? <laughs> That's
4: well, not bad. yeah, 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 exactly. So I think this kind of made my decision, you know, because I've been up in the air, uh, you know, with, between uh, Mandel and uh, Gibbons and stuff and all. But I think I'm mm-hmm. probably leaning towards Vance with this, because for the only fact. Not that I love him that much but I think he can win
2: well I'll tell you what TJ for, thank you for the call first of all and then second of all um I, I'm I'm like you I was very anti-trump in the primaries I was on the radio being very anti-trump in the primaries I'm not I, I don't hide that it's all it's all on tape um, but once he became the nominee, I said we've got to support this guy if for I gave speeches to conservative groups all over Northeast Ohio and I would tell people. Even if this, this nomination of Trump makes you sick because you were a Cruz supporter or you were Rubio or, or whatever, and you just did not like Trump, you need to do your job. And I remember making this analogy to several groups that I spoke to. You know how Trump said he's going to build a big, beautiful wall on our southern border to keep out illegal aliens? I said what we need to do with each one of our votes is put a brick in a big, beautiful wall to keep Hillary Clinton out of the White House. I said, if you even if you don't like the guy, we need to support the guy because whatever he brings to the table is going to be better than what Hillary Clinton brings to the table. And by the way, I did like the border wall idea. There were things that his... Uh And his primary campaign (laughs) was spot on. I did want to hold China accountable. All of the things he talked about, you know, it's just that he was he was and is still so gruff and is very, very abrasive and turns a lot of people off. But for me, I was looking at his past record of being pro-abortion at any time. He said that literally, including third trimester abortions and partial birth abortions. And I remember saying during the primaries that if we end up with Trump as our nominee, it's going to be one New York liberal versus another. New York liberal Trump against New York liberal Clinton. I remember saying that on the radio. But as time went on, when he did win the endorsement, I had to pull all that stuff back and say he now says he's pro life. Can we believe that he changed? Well, he went in there for four years and was one of the most ardent pro life presidents that we've had in decades. He acted, he did it right. So I came around, like I said, once he got the nomination, I was build the wall that keeps kill uh, keeps hill yeah, is fine and sorry, a little 40 slip. That keeps Killery out of the White House, build that wall and stop him, even if you don't like Trump, stop her from getting there. But then as again, as the campaign went on and then more specifically, as he took office and started to implement policies, as he started to, you know, what for every new regulation that is written, two must be revoked. All of the things that we all supported, deregulation, border control, lower taxes, a stronger military, and all the things that make conservatives, Second Amendment, that make conservatives what we are as conservatives, he started to support. And so I was all in. So... The point I'm making here, T.J., is T.J., you know, he was very anti-Trump. He said so, and so was Vance. And if he can turn, then so can Vance. But the difference is that the Vance critics will say, and I've pointed this out, is a lot of what J.D. Vance said about Donald Trump didn't end when the primaries ended. He ended, the, he, he literally said he was going to vote for Hillary Clinton. And then literally did vote for Evan McMullen. And then even in 2017, in Trump's first year, now he is our president. J.D. Vance continued to make very critical comments of Donald Trump as president. So those are things that are going to rub a lot of people the wrong way. Those are things where people are going to say, you know, he, didn't just, he wasn't just never Trump in the primaries, like a lot of people were. He was never Trump even when Trump was president doing great things. And then later in the Trump presidency started to come around, and some might say, because he knew he had a political agenda and he was going to run for office. And he knew he was going to need Trump support and Trump supporters' support. So that's where we sit in terms of trying to evaluate the legitimacy of what Vance's positions are now compared to what they were then. And I'll address one one other thing here before I go to another call. What T.J. just said is probably accurate. That Trump might not be all in with J.D. Vance, but he sees J.D. Vance as the very best chance to keep that seat R and to stop a Democrat from taking it. Because in the general election... Um, he is going to win debates. He is going to present the way he pre- and, and the truth of the matter is, there's is nobody in this field that debates and presents the way J.D. Vance does. He's polished. He's smooth. He addresses issue after issue after issue. Says the right things. Now, do we know he really believes those things, or he's just saying what he needs to say to get votes? But he, the way he presents... He seems like a very seasoned professional uh, politician, even though this is his first run for office. He does look good on stage. He does sound good on stage. Mike Gibbons, I think, is a terrific guy on policy. I think he's got all of the right boxes checked. He struggles on stage. He's a guy who needs a half an hour to explain things to get really in depth. He doesn't do sixty-second sound bites. You know, some of the others are just are just straight up. You know, uh, um, uh, not quote machines. Uh, what am I? Cliche machines. You know, uh, I'm a I'm a you know talking about Jane tempkin You know, I'm the uh, what does she call herself? What kind of a mom? Um, mom on a mission. I'm mom on a mission. I care about things you know because I'm a mom. Uh, you know, Josh is I'm a veteran. So I'm I'm a Marine, standing in the fighter. I'm a Marine, two tours, two tours. Uh, you know, Dolan with I'm the only one who's actually doing uh, conservative stuff in Ohio because I'm in the Senate. They all have their talking points that are very very repetitive. JD Vance doesn't. He goes out there and he talks issues, not just slogans and not just, you know, uh, branding. And because of that, he wins debates. Because of that, he looks like he could maybe beat Tim Ryan a lot more easily than some of the others. So Trump's position here might be less. I think J.D. is the greatest thing since, since sliced bread. And he's my true MAGA guy and more. We need somebody who's going to win who will guarantee a win. And he will look better than than Ryan by comparison. And I'm not sure if the others can do that. That's why the first paragraph of Trump's endorsement letter ends with, we cannot play games, it's all about winning. In the great state of Ohio, the candidate most qualified and ready to win in November is J.D. Vance, is what he's saying. So T.J.'s got a point. And that's Trump's point, largely. Doesn't make either one of them right. But I think that's where it's coming from, much more than the, he's the most conservative guy in the crew, you know, in this, in this fight. But more, he's the, the guy who has the best chance of beating Tim Ryan. That might be where it's coming from. All right, I want more of your thoughts at 216 901 888 Don't forget to check out the webpage, alwaysright.us, Not .com, Alwaysright.us. And if you want to leave a message on this issue, on the Vance endorsement by Trump, Go ahead and click the sound off button on the right side of the page. Record your message for me. It'll come right to my screen, and I'll play it on the radio right here on AM 1420 The Answer. Okay, it's 9.56. Let's get a few more phone calls in. People reacting to President Trump's endorsement of J.D. Vance in the Senate race. Uh, Let's go to Charlie, who's calling us from Westlake. Hey, Charlie, go ahead.
5: Hey Bob, thanks for taking the call. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, when Vance, when Vance came out, I I told my Ohio Value Voters people, I said this, this guy's smooth. He's really smooth. I hope he doesn't have any money. It seems like Trump fell for the same thing that everybody else falls for. Celebrity, national celebrity, gets people you know to, to go for them without any vetting. None of these people. Well, two people in this race have been vetted through uh, public office. Nobody else. They're all. You know, a fly-by-night, and some of them are carpetbaggers. I don't know where J.D. Vance lived. Just like Anthony Gonzalez, he lived for 12 years in San Francisco, comes here and beats Christina Hagen. Everybody goes for a celebrity, and I think it's it's a mistake. you got to vet people. you got to know what they really stand for. That's what I well, believe. Well, uh,
2: yeah, and you know what? I, I appreciate that. Thank you, Charlie. And that's kind of what a lot of critics of this are saying. And I even said it, you know, and I'm again, I'm not going to make a judgment on this because I'm not endorsing in this race, but I will say this. Um President Trump's other endorsements outside of Ohio seem to indicate what Charlie just said. I said this earlier. You know, he likes celebrity. He likes celebrities. He likes people in the entertainment business on movies and TV and again there's a whole host of examples of that even if they may not be the very best conservative candidates uh he chooses them anyway because I think he likes that people who are like him in that regard and you know, as a celebrity. So it's a fair point. Jerry's in Brexville next. Hi Jerry, go ahead.
6: Yes, Bob, my wife and I have been going between Gibbons and Vance, and uh, I just think that if Gibbons gets into a debate, uh, he's not going to win a debate. If people would only think about what his policies are and not the way he debates, it might be okay. But between him and Vance, we are really puzzled uh, at this point who to vote for. And in some ways, uh, when I listen to Dolan, I like what he says. Uh, uh, He's immigration and uh, uh, inflation and all this stuff. And Dolan is a businessman also, along with Gibbons. But I guess we may need a politician in there, and that's where we're, we're confused right now. My wife and I really don't know who we like best, but I think it's between Gibbons and Vance. And what that person from Strongville said I mean, he kind of killed v- Vance there. I, I don't think he likes him too well. But I think Vance is aggressive, and he wouldn't take anything from anybody where Gibbons would, but he wouldn't be able to come out and really state what uh, anything in a debate. So I think in a debate, mm-hmm. Gibbons might might look bad.
2: Yeah, and I'll say this, and thank you for the call, my friend. I appreciate it. Um, you know, President Trump doesn't always debate the best either. There's there's a reality of that. Now he always has the showmanship that can kind of counter for some of his um, debate answers and performances. He sometimes knows how. That's when he comes up with the little nicknames, you know, little Marco and and uh, you know, uh, uh, Lion Ted, all that stuff that he does. Um, But he doesn't debate well either. I here's the thing: if it comes down to debates deciding an election, J.D. Vance would be uh, far and away the best debater in this primary field. Better than Gibbons, better than Timken, better than Dolan, better than than uh, than Mandel. He's he's very good at that. I don't necessarily think that elections always come down to debates. I don't. At least they shouldn't, because debates are a moment. Debates are you know a good night or a bad night. Debates are a biased moderator or a non-biased moderator. By the way, this is why the Republican uh, National Committee is urging uh, passage of a a rule essentially among just Republicans saying they will not participate in presidential debates anymore that are hosted by the Presidential Debate Commission because they're always slanted and biased against the Republican. So I don't put all of the stock into debates, but President Trump does. He likes that, even though he's not great at it himself a lot of the times. He is saying in this letter that J.D. Vance would crush Tim Ryan in debates. So if you think that is more, a more important factor, then maybe you go along with that view. All right, we're going to pause this part of our conversation for the news now. And on the other side, we're going to shift into Ohio elections. Frank LaRose is the Secretary of State. We've got lots of questions for him about the state of the district map redrawing. Uh, we're going to talk to him about the election integrity in the state of Ohio. Is everything on the up and up as it should be? So you're going to want to hear this conversation with Frank LaRose next on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number two is underway, 10 minutes past 10 o'clock on this Monday, the 18th morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord 2022. Thanks so much for being with us. Again, I hope you had a wonderful Easter weekend celebrating the risen Lord yesterday, and uh, we've got a lot of work to do today. Coming up in about a half an hour, we're going to talk to our friend Jack Windsor from the Ohio Press Network. Jack Windsor will join us to talk about this um, Latest fiasco, as uh, Chief Justice Maureen O'Connor again sided with the Democrats on the court to reject for a fourth time uh, the redistricting map drawn constitutionally by the redistricting commission. Sounds like she wants to draw them herself, which would be completely unconstitutional. So we're going to talk a little bit about that with Jack Windsor uh, coming up at 1035, as well as the uh, uh, situation with the Ohio Republican Party chair, Bob Paduchik. Bob Paduchik, apparently, uh, from what we are learning, is working not on behalf of Ohio Republican voters or the Ohio Republican Party, but on behalf of a couple of individual candidates, uh, which are responsible for his position. And I'll let Jack tell you that story coming up at 1035 this morning. Right now, though, as promised, I want to bring uh, to the airwaves the uh, Ohio Secretary of State, as we've got a lot of issues to talk about between now and May 3rd, and maybe now in August as well. Uh, in this election season, uh, he is Secretary of State Frank LaRose. Mr. Secretary, good morning. Good to have you back on our program. How are you? I'm doing well, Bob. Great to be back. Good to talk to you. So let's let's first dive into this. You and the the redistricting commission continue to submit what look like they would be uh, constitutional uh district maps uh that do favor republicans as the party in power is able to do it has been approved on a party line vote by the commission and sent for approval to the court now this is four times and each time the republican chief justice sides with the democrats and says nope can you tell me what problem she has with this and can you tell me what the ultimate solution is going to be if she won't allow you guys and uh, meaning the 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 redistricting commission in general to um uh to to do their jobs
7: the chief justice and really the other 3 members of the what now constitutes the liberal majority i mean let's be clear there is a liberal majority on the ohio supreme court so what yeah. if uh, uh chief justice o'connor calls herself a republican she's certainly not acting like one they, they they keep moving the goalpost and that's really the problem you know they told us in january you got to draw more democratic districts doesn't say that in the constitution but we 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 did what they told told us because we believe in rule of law. And then they came back again and said, no, still not enough Democratic districts. And, and then a third time they rejected the maps that we drew that, that had the exact number that they asked for. I mean, the court said you got to have no more than uh, than 54 Republican districts. So, OK, we drew a set of maps that had that. And then they came back with a completely novel idea that's again, nowhere in the Constitution, completely made up. And it's that it's what they call symmetry. They said that there is not symmetry between Republicans and Democrats, effectively saying that we didn't draw safe enough Democrat districts. Evidently, uh, they believe that the Constitution says we have to draw safe Democratic districts where you're going to automatically win just because you've got a D after your name. It's nonsense what the court is doing, and uh, they're way outside of the bounds of what the law says.
2: Um, I know that the Ohio Constitution has no bearing whatsoever on other states, and other states don't have any bearing on the Ohio Constitution or their Supreme Court or their uh, redistricting commissions. But does it seem like this is the only state that is is suffering through what we are right now because there are extraordinary liberal majorities blue majorities in in states all over this country including the largest ones like california and new york uh... where they draw their lines and they clearly favor far more gerrymandering than anybody could accuse the republicans of in this particular state uh, as you guys draw these maps why are we the only ones uh... who aren't allowed to draw the maps the way the constitution says that we can
7: well, oh, you're right about the liberal hypocrisy on this. And of course, their allies in the media are more than happy to uh, tell that story as well. If you want to see probably the most egregious examples of gerrymandering in our nation's history, look at places like Illinois, New York, California, some of these Democratic controlled states. And you're right that nobody has a thing to say about it when, when Democrats uh, hold the pen. Uh, It's not correct, though, to say that Ohio is the only state that's dealing with this. But you will find that in states where Republicans are in control, that Eric Holder and Stacey Abrams and Mark Elias are filing lawsuits. They they have a strategy, Bob. They literally call it Sue Until They're Blue. And that's exactly what they're trying to do in Ohio. If you want to know why that we have uh, such a, a, a problem with redistricting right now in Ohio, it's because of Eric Holder and Mark Elias and all these other folks on the left that are filing all of these lawsuits because they want to accomplish something at the courthouse they can't accomplish at the ballot box, and that is to try to increase the number of Democrats in the state legislature.
2: Yeah, and that's the, the bizarre part, of course, is Maureen O'Connor is a uh, Republican, at least. You know, I, I think Jack Windsor said it best uh, in his article about this. She's a Republican on paper. If people are tired of the phrase rhino, Republican in him only, she's a Republican on paper. But the way she, uh, she uh, governs or she makes decisions, uh, it, it's certainly with a liberal bias. So the last question on this part of the, of the sure. conversation, Secretary LaRose, is where do we go from here? what's going to change between this drawing and the next drawing and and why are the dates are what they are uh with the uh uh, limitations put on it by by uh, o'connor and her crew
7: yeah and let's talk about dates for a minute you would think that one of the core competencies of being a justice in the ohio supreme court is to understand the state law of ohio in their most recent decision they said that august 2nd doesn't need to be the date for the second primary that's absolutely foolishness and anybody that 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 can read and look at what Title 35 of the Ohio Revised Code says would know that any date after August 2nd is just not tenable. Uh, but what they want is they want more time for them to be in control of the process. They, they want to keep going around and around and, and try to get more Democratic districts out of us on the redistricting commission. Um, and, and obviously, that's not something that, that we're going to stand for. August 2nd is when there needs to be the second primary in Ohio in order to have the election in November. It's got to be done on August 2nd. And then, uh, you know, they they argue, if if I may,
2: Mr. Secretary, they they argue that some states have primaries as late as September. I I, I didn't know that. Is that accurate?
7: That is accurate, but they're not justices of a Supreme Court of other states. They're justices of the Ohio Supreme Court, and Ohio's law has a whole lot of things laid out in it that all trigger off of Election Day. So, for example, 30 days before Election Day is when voter registration ends. In Ohio, we always do a post election audit. That's set out in law. So we need time to do all of the post-election activities. The work of the Board of Elections doesn't end on Election Day. In fact, far from it. Some of the most important things that the Board of Elections does happens in the weeks after Election Day. And one of the reasons why Ohio is such a gold standard for election integrity is because of all of the work we do after Election Day to reconcile and make sure that the numbers were accurate and done correctly. Uh, those are things that just wouldn't be able to happen if somehow uh, a primary happened later than August 2nd. I mean, it, it's, uh, it's foolish to think that just because other states run their elections a certain way that all of a sudden Ohio needs to. Uh, the basic understanding of federalism and, and the fact that the states lay out the way that elections are run would tell you that we can't have our election for the second primary later than August 2nd.
2: We are talking with Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose. He, of course, is in charge of Ohio's elections and the process. And I want to, I want to pivot to election integrity now and talk about um, where Ohio stands. You know, I know that you and and others have said, you know, President Trump won Ohio by eight points twice. You know, we've had no problems with um, uh, irregularities or challenges or fraud and so on and so forth. But the Heritage Foundation has put out their election integrity scorecard for all 50 states. They rank Ohio 22nd with an overall score of 62 out of 100. Now, I know we're not in school, but 62 out of 100 is a D- minus. if you are, <laughs> if you're looking at a grade card. They say that we have an 8 out of 20 score on voter ID impl- implementation, 21 out of 30 on accuracy of voter res- registration lists. You and I have talked about your attempts to purge the, the roles of uh, of uh, uh, voters who have deceased or moved, etc., cetera, etc., uh, but apparently not not enough, according to Heritage. Absentee ballot management, only a 14 out of 21. Those are the three biggest scores. Um, how do you respond to that? How do you defend our election integrity? And, again, I don't believe the Heritage Foundation to be biased in any way uh, toward leftism or anything that might be trying to make a red state look bad. Uh, but this is what they came up with. How do you respond?
7: Yeah, no, first of all, we work a lot with... The uh, Heritage Foundation, in fact, uh, my team uh, was there in D.C. meeting with them last week, and one of the things that they were there to talk about is this. We've had several phone conversations with them. They have admitted that uh, that some of their methodology and information was incorrect about Ohio, so they are revising that study that you're talking about, uh, and I think you're going to see – an all new uh, set of numbers from heritage as it relates to Ohio's uh, numbers here coming out soon. So um, again, when, when, a, when a group like this, even a really good well-intentioned group like the heritage foundation does a 50 state analysis uh, they're not going to get everything hundred percent right. And so they got some things wrong about Ohio, they had a, a few things they just didn't understand about how we maintain the accuracy of our voter rolls, for example, and, and that kind of thing. And so you're gonna see revised numbers coming out soon. Listen, there's no, no let such me ask thing about the let me, let me ask process. about the voter yeah. ID
2: part if I may, because that was the first one and that was the lowest sure. score, as I said. Mm-hmm. That was a you know, an eight out of twenty. Um, it, 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 did your office declare when it comes to what people can show in terms of documentation as to who they are when they vote anything and everything that basically has your your name and address on it including uh you know report cards from universities, uh, notices including negative ones, court papers, transcripts. I think famously there was a um uh, one state that's, uh, or maybe this was the Biden administration who declared. Oh yeah, that, I remember. I'm sorry. That's that was about illegal aliens uh, uh, showing up here and proving their identities. They can use uh, their their prison release forms. So if you've you got out of prison <laughs> and you, so so in other words, we're allowed to show pretty no, much anything according to what I'm according to what I'm reading. We're allowed to show anything to be able to vote here in Ohio. And maybe that's why we got an eight out of twenty. What, what's the deal?
7: So here's what uh, this is all established in Ohio's law. So it's nothing that my office declares or or some sort of decision that that I get to make. The state law says that you have to show a state ID or driver's license when you come to vote. The good news is 98 percent of voters do just that. There is also an allowance for an alternative form of ID. And again, this is laid out in law. The state legislature would have to address this if they wanted to. Um, But what we have in Ohio is almost virtually the same thing as what the state of Texas passed just a few years ago. So they used Ohio as an example when they set up Their voter identification requirements because there has to be some sort of alternative for people that lose theirs or can't afford one or whatever else. But the most important thing that we do, Bob, is make sure that those people are never on the voter rolls to begin with if they're not eligible to be a voter. We do uh, a good job of maintaining the accuracy of our voter rolls. There's always room for improvement. Uh, this is something that we've really put a lot of focus on. Of course, the Democrats will, you know, rip their garments and gnash their teeth whenever we we do this and they call it purging and and have all kinds of nasty things for but we take dead people off the voter rolls on a monthly basis in fact when i caught a board of elections right there in northeast ohio not maintaining the accuracy of their voter rolls i placed them under oversight as a result of it they'd left 800 dead people on the rolls we caught that and we fixed it we we make sure that non-citizens uh, are not allowed to become registered voters in the state of Ohio. But, you know, again, there's always room for improvement on that kind of thing. Um, and certainly if the state legislature wanted to tighten that up, I would uh, be happy to work with them on it
2: secretary LaRose, um let's go from casting the votes and by the way i think there should be full on voter uh photo identification for for voting in the state of ohio and it should not be uh altered in any way there should not be it should be no substitutions. if somebody loses it then just like a driver's license if you get pulled over and you can't produce your driver's license what do they give you 24 hours to to produce it at the police station in order to uh, uh mm-hmm. to avoid another 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 uh, uh sanction uh so give them time after the fact to show that they were a legal voter by having voter identification i i don't want to play games because there are too many ways to defraud uh, the vote. Uh, sure. And now, now let's switch to the well. And I would end. be supported. by the way, the way that
7: we. The way that we would do that, Bob, is what's called a provisional ballot. Uh, so if somebody didn't have their ID, they would have to cast a provisional ballot. That would be fine. I, I would be open to that. Obviously, that's something the state legislature would have to enact, though.
2: You know, and, and you said that before, too, and I get it. You don't make the laws. You're you're looking at the higher revised code. That's fine. Do you, as Secretary of State who runs the elections, though, have any influence over the uh, uh, over the legislature? Can you go to the leadership of the, of the two chambers in the General Assembly and say, this is what we need to do and ensure election integrity? Can you get it done?
7: You know, we work with the General Assembly all the time, and uh, what I have been pushing for is some additional tools to help us maintain more accurate voter rolls. But uh, this is something, again, that I'd be fully supportive of as long as uh, as long as they're willing to, to pass something that will survive court challenges. No, and no, no, I'm no, 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 glad to it.
2: hear you'd be supportive and of it. The, what I'm asking is, are you leading on it? Are, are you are you going to them oh, sure. and saying we need voter ID requirements in the state of Ohio, full on state identifications provided free to people who are impoverished, et cetera, et cetera, just the way that we always do and can do? But have have you have you have you thought about going to them and pro, pro, uh, proposing it rather than saying I would be supportive if they did it?
7: Well, there's a bill that, that does that 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 was recently introduced. Uh, I think it was the state senator from Northwest Ohio that introduced it, and I've made clear that uh, that I'd be happy to work with them on that for sure.
2: Okay, I, I hope that's the case. I want to go to the other side, like I said. Now, after uh, casting them, let's count them. Um, mm-hmm. Do you trust the, the machines to do all of the counting and that, that everything can be and will be verified? Because I believe in, in a hand count. I, I believe there needs to be... Uh, multiple redoubling of the counts and that hand counting should be done and it should be monitored 100% of the time not part of the time we tell people we're going to go home and we'll start counting again in the morning by by members of both parties, by poll watchers of both parties that every vote is counted observed by a set of eyes and and recorded accordingly. I do not trust the computers I do not trust um, the fact that uh, after the fiasco in 2020 around the country that you can hack into these machines that experience hackers can get into the voting machines in a matter of 60 seconds i'm worried i I want a free and fair election in november because i know a free and fair election in november is going to lead to a red tidal wave a tsunami and and getting control back for the people as opposed to the brandon administration and their elitists (laughs) but i don't know if we're going to get that secretary LaRose, unless we have free and fair elections and that includes things like hand counting ballots in the state of ohio do you support that
7: yeah, and it's actually what we do here. And it's important to understand that in Ohio, we don't have just electronic tabulation or just paper uh, ballots. We have both. And it's the redundancy of both of those parallel systems that allows us to say that, for example, we had a 99.98% accuracy rate when we ran the 2020 election, 999 last year for the local elections. I've had some people say that if you got rid of electronic tabulation, that nobody could cheat. Well, that's not true. I mean, paper ballots, ask Chicago in the 1960s if people can cheat with paper. Of course they can. There always have to be redundancies in place and safeguards and monitoring in place. So in Ohio, when you cast your ballot, it's tabulated Mm -hmm. electronically because otherwise you wouldn't know the winner until probably Thanksgiving. But we don't just rely on that electronic tabulation. There is a post-election audit that's done by both Republicans and Democrats who took an oath, sitting there in full public view. They count the hard copy paper And then they have to compare that and match that against the electronic results. And there has to be fidelity between the electronic record and the paper record. That's what's at the heart of Ohio's post-election auditing. And this is why, again, people like President Trump, people like uh, Jim Jordan have said that Ohio is an example to follow. Now, listen, there's always room for improvement, but Ohio does this pretty well.
2: Well, yeah, that is that is an important part of this. This whole thing is that there is redundancy and it, it does need to be done again, like I said, by hand. And I just wonder, again, uh, can you can you point to results that the public can see of any discrepancies between computer results when they do the counting versus the hand counted results? Does everything match up vote for sure. vote or have we had? And, and is that information public?
7: Yeah, sure it is. So when I say that we had a 99.98% accuracy rate, then you may ask, so where does that .02 inaccuracy rate come from? That small number where there's inaccuracy. I'll give you probably my favorite example because it's just kind of funny. Somebody in Toledo in 2020 decided to fill out their absentee ballot with a purple glitter pen. That sounds like something my eight-year-old daughter would do. And because it was a glitter pen, it didn't. It reflected the laser when it went through the counter, and it accounted it, it as a blank ballot. Well, they caught that when they were doing the hand count post-election audit. So please, I hope nobody in your audience uses a purple glitter pen when they fill out their ballot. But those are the kind of things that can happen. It's a small number, uh, but that's why we go and, and, and do that post-election audit to make sure there is fidelity, high, high level of fidelity between the, uh, between the paper record and that electronic tabulation.
2: I want to pivot to one other thing before we go, and I want to talk about uh, what's going on in this governor's race, and in particular, the letter that was sent by your office to Joe Blystone's team saying you owe $101,000 in campaign contributions that need to be returned. There's another 130000 you need to explain, and then there may be fines on top of that. He was supposed to, if I understand it correctly, respond to this by April 15th. Today is the 18th. Has he, and where does that stand in terms of uh, his... I won't say eligibility, I guess, but uh, with respect to the uh, the gubernatorial primary on May 3rd.
7: Yeah, so, so it's a multi-level process that we have here in Ohio for maintaining our campaign finance system. We do the auditing of those. That's a responsibility that my office has. There's uh, six full-time auditors that work in our office, go through and reconcile the numbers, make sure that money in and money out matches and that everything's documented and, and that kind of thing. But the real investigation um, and and sanctioning of people who violate campaign finance laws are done by the Ohio Elections Commission. And so um, what I've told people is that if you believe that your opponent uh, has violated the law, you should file with the Ohio Elections Commission. That's one of the, the mechanisms you can you can use. Uh, we do the auditing. And you're right. When we audited Mr. Blystone's report, we found some pretty egregious mistakes made. And we are you know working with them to try to correct those because what we aim for is transparency. That's our goal Ohioans deserve to know who's funding a campaign and what they're spending their money on and, and that kind of thing. And so routinely, a campaign will come to us and say, we need a few more days to get our paperwork together. Uh, we're reasonable about that. We're not going to, uh, uh, you know, we're not going to be unreasonable with people. And so I believe they've asked for a couple extra weeks to, to get their paperwork together, and we've granted them that. But again, if somebody believes that there's an, a violation occurring of the campaign finance laws, they have the ability to file with the Ohio Elections Commission to get the relief that they're
2: looking for. Well, but the Ohio Elections Commission isn't doing anything. Uh, there, In fact, a lawsuit was just filed to get them to expedite this particular case because the, the election's mm-hmm. coming up on May 3rd. There may be people who are considering voting for this man only to find out later on that some, some illegal criminal activities took place in his campaign Then they want an answer before they vote on May 3rd. Do you support this expediting of this case?
7: Not certainly. that. I can't comment on that because it's an ongoing legal matter, and I've not read the briefings on this. But this is why, for example, your profession is so important because Ohioans need to be informed when they make their decisions. And by you know reporting on it, by talking about it on shows like yours, that you know you can get the word out. Uh, opposing campaigns and candidates will often uh, you know use their mechanisms to get the word out as well. We follow a, a pretty routine process in how we audit campaign finance reports, and and then you know what we do as a result of that. And we're following that normal course of, of, of action to to evaluate Mr. Blystone's reports. And and again, if he's violated the law, then uh, the relief for that will happen at the Ohio Elections Commission.
2: Yeah, the uh, election, by the way, is in two weeks and one day, 15 days from now. And giving him two more weeks to provide the stuff that you need that was demanded of him pretty much means that there will be no answers to this before people go and vote on May 3rd. Sir? Yeah, Bob... this, this it, was, this the, it was kind this of a statement that I was. I wanted. Out. I wanted you yeah, to treat yeah. like a question. How do you? I mean, it, it just bothers me that you granted a two week reprieve to him because it takes us right up to the point of the election, and then and then what happens? I you say, you know, you say anybody, he didn't respond again, and then the, do what you will, Ohio voters.
7: The audit of his report is uh, publicly available, um, and we've had people ask for it. We've made it. We've made it publicly available so that voters can evaluate that. I can tell you that uh, just a, a objective look at that will tell you that there are some pretty pretty bad violations uh, in how they did their campaign finance reporting. Now yeah. the question is is that just is that just sloppiness? Uh, is there a criminal violation there? That's something that takes time to, to figure out. but in the sort of court of public opinion, it's up to the voters to decide, uh, whether this man's qualified to be governor or not, based on all of the things that they can evaluate, including his campaign finance no, reporting. Yeah, and, and, and again, I, and that's I, and why I, we've audited it. it.
2: I, I get it. You, you did the audit, and I'm glad you sent the letter, but I think demanding his response to it will help the people do exactly what you said and decide for themselves mm-hmm. what they believe and what they think the, uh, the, you know, the uh, ramifications of such things are in terms of whether or not they vote for him. That's what I was really hoping that the... Uh, that your office would be able to provide and demand get an answer for him so that people can see not only what you made public as far as the uh, uh, potential violations but also what they're if they did they say sloppiness or do they say yeah we uh, you know we were we were doing other things it's it's something that I find would be important and I wish we didn't have that delay having said all of that I know sure. you're uh, you're a very busy guy you got a lot of uh, irons and a lot of fires I appreciate you coming on to talk about this today thank you very much Mr Secretary
7: thank you Bob and thanks for reminding people election day is just two weeks away.
2: You got it. Absolutely. We're on it. Uh, That's Secretary of State Frank LaRose. We blew past our commercial break. We blew past our news break. We just kind of ignored it all. My apologies for that. we got to catch up. And then we'll come back with Jack Windsor on AM 1420 The Answer.
0: Spreading the light of liberty and holding the line against the darkness of tyranny. Right with Bob France on AM 1420,
2: the answer. Okay, 10:41. As we continue, always right radio went a little bit long there with uh, the Secretary of State Frank LaRose. There's a lot, of, and I didn't even cover all of the, the ground that I wanted to with him because time just didn't allow that. But uh, I want to catch uh, catch up now and check in with our good friend, uh, State House correspondent for AM 1420, the answer and also the founder and editor-in-chief of the Ohio Press Network, Jack Windsor, joining us now to talk about all of these Ohio political issues with us. Hey, Jack, good morning.
8: Good morning, Bob. Uh, It's an honor to be here. Uh, Thanks for choosing me again today.
2: Yes, sir. A little late with you. My apologies there. We went a little long with Secretary LaRose. Um, Before we get into the things that we're going to talk about, which are specifically we're going to talk about the J.D. Vance endorsement in the race and what kind of an impact you think that might have on the Senate race, the endorsement by President Trump, and also some issues with the Ohio Republican Party and its leadership. Let me just ask you for your thoughts on what Frank LaRose and I talked about with respect to Chief Justice O'Connor and the intentional um, uh, denial of the uh, redistricting commission's maps uh, for the fourth consecutive time.
8: So, you know, I'm kind of bifurcated in my opinion here. I don't know if that makes me bipolar. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, bad joke. But, um, you know, I I kind of try to see it both ways, right? And when I read the Ohio Constitution and when I read the majority um, opinions, which, by the way, she, you know, either pens those or is part of those majority opinions, I don't don't get how, how they go from point A to point B. There always seems to be a bridge too far. I mean, this goes all the way back to the commission was supposed to attempt, period. And they have attempted. They've attempted four times. And, you know, the claims that this is a partisan effort, well, that's accounted for. Um, of course, if they can't come into full agreement, it's not a 10-year map. It's a four-year map. It's right. a political process. Of course, it's going to be partisan and political. So the the fact that, um, you know, there there are arguments that don't seem to be constitutional to me. But, again, I'm not a constitutional attorney. Um, That's just me, a voter, weighing in. I think that they've taken um, a bridge too far. Where it got laughable for me, I mean, laughable if it weren't so sad in the constitutional crisis, is that when the proportionality of 54 to 46 was met, and they ran up the flagpole with the court, and then the court came down and said, yeah, you, you got that, but a couple of these districts They're not Democratic enough. The margin is not. And I'm I'm thinking now all of a sudden they put themselves into a position of, you know, they've got a crystal ball there. They're predicting who's going to vote in what proportionality um, in percentage in the upcoming election to say whether a map is constitutional or not. I think that they've far overstepped. Now, that being said, Frank LaRose, Dave Yost, um, Mike DeWine, all of these guys, these are names that we've heard for quite some time, right? They were in leadership when these constitutional amendments were put into play and passed and promoted. So if there's a group of people who should be familiar with the rules and should have thought ahead of time how to navigate the path that they've carved, it's this group, right? And so at the end of the day, the hard part for Frank LaRose is he's 0 for 2 on, on big-time elections. And when you're the um, chief elections officer in the state of Ohio, that's, that's really tough. And there are a lot of people who are still really upset – Understandably so, uh, with respect to what happened in March of 2020, when unconstitutionally the primary was moved. And now we're going to have a second primary here in this 2022 election cycle. It's going to cost taxpayers an additional 20 to $25 million. Eventually somebody somewhere, the, the buck has to stop because who's paying for it? Candidates. Who's paying for it? Voters. And you have the same leadership, whether they're on the court, you know, or in some statewide executive office who are just still in a position getting a paycheck and all is dandy.
2: We're talking with Jack Windsor, uh, laying it out for us from the Ohio Press Network. Uh, Moreno almost seems like what she wants is to have a pre-election election. Let's really have an election to see exactly how many Democrats will vote in each one of these. And then we'll say, okay, now we'll have the, now we'll draw the lines and now we'll go ahead and vote that way. It's just, it's kind of insane. Let's pivot now to the, uh, endorsement that rocks the, um, uh, the Senate race and the primary, uh, the GOP yeah. primary side. Uh, we've all been wondering every candidate has been running ads. Josh Mandel, pro-God, pro-guns, pro-Trump. Uh, uh, Gibbons and Timken both used the Trump tough lines. Obviously, J.D. Vance has said MAGA and America first. I think only Dolan is the one who's really not really caring too much about the uh, Trump endorsement, but the rest of them have fought for it. J.D. Vance got it. And I want your reaction to it, Jack Windsor, on two fronts. Number one, the obvious being the criticism from the supporters of the other candidates of J.D. Vance saying he has been a never-Trumper. Mm-hmm. How can you possibly do this? And number two, from Trump's explanation in the very, very uh, first paragraph, Um in the great state of Ohio, the candidate most qualified and ready to win in November is J.D. Vance. We cannot play games. It's all about winning. It sounds as though... President Trump's argument here isn't that this guy is necessarily the most MAGA and the most Trump tough and the most, you know, Mm -hmm. devoted to America first. But he's the guy, he goes on to say he will win the debates. He will be able to counter the best, everything that Tim Ryan and the Democrats can throw up there. Uh, He's the most electable in terms of of, of that. Um, So respond to it on both of those fronts there. His never Trumpism and his electability because of his polish on a debate
8: stage. Yeah. So let's start with the never Trump stuff. It's really interesting to me. He, uh, released a poll, uh, the Tony Fabrizio poll Fabrizio, by the way, is Trump's pollster, uh, one of his favorites. Uh, but in, in February, as February, uh, a Fabrizio poll was released and it wasn't good for, for JD Vance. So, um, you know, the, the, the goal at that point was to figure out how do you reverse course in Fabrizio said, Hey, he's underwater with Trump supporters. Um, and the groups where Vance has improved are those that we don't want him doing better with. So Trump disapprovers and moderate slash liberals is what Fabrizio wrote in that report. And again, that came out in February. Soon after that, I would say that, um, you know, Vance began to to shore up his brand as a as a conservative outsider in the race, and I think that's that's kind of his edge, and I think that's what Trump's going to you know try to promote um, up to the finish line here. But then Marjorie Taylor Greene stepped in and endorsed Vance. if you remember that? And then things really started to swirl last month when Donald Trump Jr. Um, released a tweet critical of Vance's opponents who were calling him a never-trumper. And Jr. stepped in and said, hey, this is BS. A lot of conservatives were skeptical of DJT in 2016 and got one over when they saw him in action. J.D. is 100% America first. Now, that speculation about what that meant, it went to frenetic levels after Trump announced that he would be in Delaware, uh, Ohio, which is this Saturday, April 23rd. But, you know, looking at the polling, Bob, and and we can get as deep or as shallow into this as you want – but there are four polls that stand out to me. Three of them are Trafalgar polls, and Mandel has led in every single one of them. You know, Vance and Gibbons have kind of flip-flopped. But when I look at this third poll that reported on Friday, Mandel's at 28%, Vance is 22.6, Gibbons is 14.3, 13.1% are undecided, and 54.9, or say 59% of respondents. So that they'd be more likely to support a Trump endorsed candidate. Well, that tells me the race isn't over. Uh, the Trump endorsement doesn't close the deal, especially when you look at uh, the response that some folks in Pennsylvania gave after he endorsed Mehmet Oz there for, you know, Pennsylvania Senate race. Um, and and so these two back to back, you know, are kind of head scratchers, but based on what he said in his endorsement letter, Trump believes these are the folks that can win the race, um, but we can dive a little bit more into the numbers. I just think it's a, 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 an incredibly interesting um, evolution for Vance. You know, he uh, since December has. Let me look at this number here. I got. I've got to find it. I, I wrote it down. Since December, Mandel's up six point six, Vance seven point seven seven, and Gibbons two point two. So Mandel and Vance have kind of gone, you know, simultaneously and. And Mandel has a, you know, five to six point lead right now. So of those 13.1% that are yet undecided, even if, let's say it's a two-man race, and I don't think that it is, by the way, if Vance gets 55% of all the outstanding undecideds and Mandel just continues to pull 28% of the support that he's at now, the race ends with Vance at 29.97% and Mandel at 31.75%. So all of that to say it's going to be a hell of a race down the stretch.
2: So the Trump endorsement, and I'm glad you brought this up um, about Mehmet Oz, because I talked about it, too. Um, We're talking to Jack Windsor, Ohio Press Network, and uh, our State House correspondent. Mehmet Oz is no conservative, uh, not by any stretch of the imagination. There is a long litany of comments that he has made and statements he has made about uh, conservative issues that are very important to most conservative voters, and he's on the other side of them. The endorsement from Trump is just mind-boggling. It it just makes a lot of people scratch their heads. And I think it can, in in some ways, it can um, unify opposition against that candidate. Even though President Trump mm-hmm. still kind of, you know, is the is the the bellwether for conservatives and for the Republican Party, there are conservatives who say that's crap, and they may unite mm-hmm. against that candidate just to deny him because they really are so outraged by that. Do you think that could happen here? Uh, it, it's one thing for each individual group of supporters to say I'm a Mandel guy and another one to say I'm a Gibbons guy and, and I don't like this, but it's another thing altogether to say he endorsed who? The guy who said, the guy who voted for Evan McMullen? The guy who said I'd voted Hillary over him—all of the 9 yards. years—and again, his criticism didn't end the way mine and so many others did in the primaries. Once Trump got the nomination, it went on mm-hmm. in general and in uh, in his first year of of office in 2017. Do you think that there might be an anti-Vance movement, more than just a pro-Mandela or a pro-Gibbons, but an anti-Vance movement that will that will kind of coalesce in in Ohio to make sure that he doesn't win?
8: Yeah, let's look at these two rising tides. You know, an endorsement matters only if you put money behind it. So we'll start there. And J.D. Vance didn't waste time. I received uh, communication from his spokeswoman, uh, Taylor Van Kirk, reached out this morning to alert that Vance will launch a statewide TV ad highlighting President Trump's endorsement. Um, it'll There will be about half a million dollars behind that. It's a TV commercial that goes throughout, uh, throughout the state, but it's part of a, a larger seven-figure buy for the final two weeks of the race. So – here comes that wave, right? And, and the question is, um, is he going to put money behind it? He is. So he's going to get some, um, you know, uptick out of that. But then the other part is, what do the other candidates do? And what do the opposers of the other candidates do? You know, here's the part that nobody's talking about. And I'm going to try to get into these two things real quick. Number one, what about consolidation? What if Pimpkin drops? What if Dolan drops? Where do those votes go? What if Gibbons, Gibbons drops and backs Mandel or Mandel? Drops and backs Gibbons. By the way, that scenario right there—if that happens, the game's over. If if Gibbons, dro- Gibbons drops and supports Mandel, game over. If Mandel drops supports Gibbons, game's over. Um, now Mandel, or excuse me, Dolan and, and Timken. I, who knows what happens if they drop out? I think that they're probably uh, they would. <laughs> they're a little more Portman-esque, at least um, Dolan is, and, and I think Timken is um, someone that her votes may go to- more toward JD Vance. But, look, since this endorsement dropped, the Ohio Republican Party Treasurer, Dave Johnson, he rallied signatures from county Republican Party leaders and state central committee members. About 40 people signed on to a document that was sent to Trump. The letter, which I published in the story about Vance's endorsement on Friday, and you can read that at theohiopressnetwork.com, you read from some of it, uh, Bob. It highlights uh, comments that J.D. Vance made while he was recorded uh, on on various shows and on the TV circuit, mm-hmm. calling um, Trump voters racists, saying that, you know, there are some racial underpinnings at the heart of his movement. And, you know, the comment about holding his nose and voting for Hillary, um, so on and so forth. And so that letter, uh, along with um, really kind of a, a, I guess it was an appeal to Trump's loyalty, because in it, it talks about how, Vance is a Johnny-come-lately, and an endorsement for him would be a sign that, that loyalty and hard work for the cause doesn't matter, and there have been people who have carried the mantle forward, whether it's folks on the Mandelke front, Gibbons front, Timken front, whatever. So there is going to be a massive, um, uh, I, I don't know what it's going to look like, a massive wave of, of opposition. My understanding is there's a protest <laughs> scheduled for Uh, the Trump visit in Delaware that's going to happen Saturday. I know that uh, pro-life groups, uh, Second Amendment groups met throughout the weekend. Uh, Sources have told me that. They've also said that there are some big things planned for this week. I don't know what those things are, but I think we're going to see them in the next seven days. Um, I'll pause there for a second and just uh, affirm what you said. Yes, um, Vance is going to put money behind the endorsement, but there is a large group and, and some one source says it's it's anywhere from 1.7 to 2.2 million voters statewide that are that are tied to people who are really upset that Trump made the endorsement. So you're going to see quite a clash in the next two weeks.
2: We are talking with Jack Windsor on AM 1420, The Answer, the uh, State House reporter covering the State for us, and then also the publisher and editor of uh, the Ohio Press Network. Jack, I'm going to take a time out here, and it's going to take us pretty close to our news break. Can you? come back with us after the top of the hour news to talk about the orp chair bob paduchik and and what his role has been not just in leading the state party but perhaps <clears throat> excuse me in personally working on behalf of certain candidates rather than the party as a whole because i understand there is a there's a lot of there are a lot of very troubling um allegations let's call them that that are being made right now against the chairman of the orp can you stick with us uh, after the after the news
1: right
0: with bob france on am 1420
2: the answer hour number three on the way now eight minutes past 11 o'clock thanks for being with us on always right radio I want to thank jack windsor for hanging on a little bit over overtime today because um we got a little behind with our conversation earlier with frank larose the secretary of state if you're curious about the redistricting aspect from one of the members of the redistricting commission and the man who is in charge of Ohio elections. Uh, that's Frank LaRose. If you missed that conversation, you can listen to it, uh, very soon. It'll be up, uh, on our podcast page at whkradio.com and on uh, my companion page to this radio show, alwayswrite.us. So make sure that you check that out. And Jack Windsor does continue with us now from the Ohio Press Network. He is also, uh, the State House correspondent for us on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, Jack, um, I have been very, very critical of, uh, of the ORP chair, Mr. Bob Paduchik, in recent months. Um, and I have been asking for an opportunity to discuss my criticism with him. Uh, but it seems like every time we call him, this is what we get.
9: Thank you for calling Ohio Republican Party Chairman Bob Paduchik. You have been on hold for 27 they your call is very important to Chairman Fedutick. Please remain on the line. He'll be with you shortly.
2: That's not a <clears throat> that's not an accident. Are we making fun of it? Yes. But that's not an accident. 27 straight days we've either called or emailed or otherwise requested an interview uh, with Bob Paduchik, and we are getting nothing. He doesn't want to talk about what happened in February with respect to the endorsement of, um, of Mike DeWine at the State Central Committee meeting, and he doesn't want to talk about a whole lot of other things as well. Jack, I understand you, and and I have been critical of him, by the way, for denying you access to certain things like that Central Committee meeting, uh, calling you uh, not a credible journalist, saying that the Ohio Press Network is not real news, et cetera. So you've uh, you've been digging a little bit into the ORP and into Chairman Paduchik's activities, and I'm going to give you wide latitude here to tell me what you found.
8: Yeah, so... As we just talked about, after that Trump endorsement for Vance came out, the Ohio Republican Party treasurer, Dave Johnson, rallied signatures from county Republican Party leaders and state central committee members. And I talked with a former high level Trump staffer on Friday, and I asked him about the letter from the Ohio Republican Party and the county leaders, and he sloughed it off. And I just, I thought that was, uh, it surprised me. And I said, okay, listen, I've heard from another seasoned, well-respected journalist here in Ohio, that Trump thinks Paducek is a hack and that he won't take seriously his pushback on the endorsement. Now, the former staffer said he never heard Trump say that directly, but that tracks with events and the overall attitude. And so, obviously, that um, inspired me to ask some more questions, and we dove into it a bit. And here's what I discovered. So, apparently, Bob Paducek got in his car last summer and made a trip to New Jersey with a poll in hand, uh, apparently that showed Jane Timken in a great position and he pitched trump on a Timken endorsement now according to a couple sources in trump's inner circle this move gave president trump pause first he said something to the effect of you're the chairman of the party why did you get in a car and drive here now i don't know if that was if he was offended that he didn't take a jet or maybe he should have picked up the phone um but second it, it made it appear to trump according to sources that Paducic was working for Tinkin. Now, since then, Paducic has, according to the former staffer, incessantly reached out to Trump and worked to get Tinkin endorsed. And this effort, according to that same source, has um, agitated President Trump, and it's forced him to stop taking calls and, and responding to text messages, according to some folks um, in the inner circle. And uh, in the past couple of weeks, or excuse me, past couple of months, um, he's uh, Jane Timken has actually attempted to meet with Trump in Florida uh, at, a, at a fundraiser, and my understanding is that the fundraiser, uh, I was told that the side meeting she had set up with Trump was scratched, and according to one source, she flew to Mar-a-Lago last week and wouldn't be seen, um, and then had a phone conversation uh, on Thursday with the former president, and my understanding is that call didn't go well. Um, and then the Trump insider told me that it's it's not that Trump dislikes Paduchek because he's spoken highly of his work on Trump's behalf in the past, but he's irritated by the calls and efforts to get Timken in, endorsed. And I say all of that to say this. It appears that that Bob Paduchek cashed in his political equity uh, with failed efforts to get Timken endorsed in the Senate race. And there's no equity left in that account to fund this effort, so to speak, to try to get Donald Trump uh, to walk back from the advance
2: endorsement that's a lot of information um and quite frankly it does not paint a very positive picture of mr paduchik uh and not just in the eyes of president trump as you said who thought it was insane for him to drive up there to new jersey and do this all on behalf of one candidate and rather than working on behalf of the voters of the state of ohio republican voters <clears throat> excuse me who elect the uh, leadership uh, of uh, the ORP, who elect the state central committee members. He's working on behalf of one individual rather than on behalf of the party. That's a problem, and not to mention the DeWine side of this. Can you tell me any more about that?
8: Um, Say that again, Bob. I didn't... uh,
2: well, we're just the effort that he put in uh, on behalf, specifically yeah. of Timken, going to Trump, and and as he said, he kind of burning a bridge there. Uh, yeah. you, you talk about emptying the, uh, you know, the uh, the account, if you will. Um, yeah. I'm talking about I'm talking about all of those efforts to get Jane Timken yeah. uh, that endorsement to get her into the United yeah. States Senate, and then also his his efforts uh, solely on behalf of Mike DeWine, not operating as yeah. a representative of the state central committee, the leader yeah. of the ORP, chosen uh, for that position, but more specifically working on behalf of a very very deeply unpopular governor uh tell me about the um uh you yeah. know the the efforts that bob paduchik has made there yeah
8: yeah so okay thank you for restating that i wasn't i didn't hear it the right way the first time all right. so you know all of that all of that tracks with what we heard right there were rumors and we don't want to give rumors life necessarily that were rampant when paduchik took the post as the orp chairman it was alleged that you know, Portman's resignation and then Timken's run for Portman's seat and then Paducic stepping into that chairmanship was all arranged. I had state central committee members tell me that they received calls from Paducic just hours after Timken resigned announcing that he would be the next chairman. And as you remember, um, Timken hired two key Portman staffers as soon as she started running. Now, Paducic managed Portman's campaign in 2010. He was also a key player in getting Timken installed as the ORP chairman in 2017. Mm-hmm. And now, when you look at how he's handled the Mike DeWine endorsement, uh, there are folks who are really upset that um, he has used his discretion as chairman to, whether it's in-kind contributions or cash contributions, um, fund DeWine and Houston by over a million dollars prior to the endorsement um, of DeWine and Husted. Uh, Now, according to how you interpret their bylaws, is he, does he have the latitude to do that? They would argue that according to the bylaws and, you know, state funds, he can, but it it really upset people to the point that Mike DeWine did not even show up for his own endorsement meeting um, to give a talk at the uh, ORP meeting in February. Speculation is he would have been booed. And I, and I think that that's actually right. And,
2: and wouldn't it be incumbent upon the party chair to make sure that that is not the case? To make sure that the man that they're about to vote to endorse is in the presence of the uh, the state central committee? I mean, the idea that he wouldn't be there out of fear of being booed is, I agree, it's very likely, it probably would have happened, but I guess that's my point here, is that Bob Paduchik is willing to ignore traditional standards and norms in order to make sure that his... Um, I don't want to say benefactors, but I think his success in in his role is tied directly to the success of Mike DeWine. And obviously, as you pointed out, of Jane Timpkins. So, you know, in a manner of speaking, these are his benefactors and he's going to do whatever he can to provide political cover for them.
8: It certainly appears that way. I mean, you know, when the idea came up, I think it was Shannon Burns who introduced it, that um, there are 17 or so people that should recuse themselves or abstain from the endorsement vote. Um, which, by the way, went in DeWine's favor. Actually, there was a whole slate that included LaRose and Yoast and Faber, um, and Sprague. But, uh, 17 of those potential 34 votes are people who were either appointed by Mike DeWine, reappointed by Mike DeWine, or were, you know, under the DeWine administration. So, um, when you look at fairness, when you look at equity and how they've handled all of it, um, if you want to use some liberal terms, uh, equity, uh, <laughs> um, no, well, is. I'll use appear... my term.
2: That's swamp. That what you just described is a swamp. These appointments directly, you know, uh, that you just pointed out, there is a quid pro quo here, uh, you know, that these appointments are made by the governor, and the governor expects that full-on loyalty in return no matter what else is happening, and that's just swamp-like stuff.
8: You know, it really is, and that's the word that we've heard um over and over again and to take it even further you know there have been some state central committee members who have pushed back who have asked some legitimate questions about accounting irregularities dating back to 2016 17 18 19 20 and then even through 2021 and you know the reward that they got was that they've been insulted um they've been kicked off of committees and um now they're uh handpicking people to run against them um, if there's ever you know, whenever the primary is going to be scheduled state central committee members will be on those primary ballots. But, uh, you know, there are five or six key people, and uh, those people um, have hand-picked opponents that are going to run against them. So, um, yeah, it, it feels swampy. That's what our, our readers and uh, folks that we, we engage with a lot, that's a word that they use quite a bit.
2: Have you reached out
8: to Paduchek for an interview? Uh, probably more than a dozen times, yes.
2: Okay, because because obviously he has discredited you and decided you again because of your criticism of him and of the ORP or at least your questioning and reporting on people uh, you know by people rather you know you've had uh, columnists and and contributors writing articles that have been critical of Mike Dewine or even if they're not necessarily intended to be critical showing the record of Mike Dewine and the things that went on during particularly the two the two years of of hardcore COVID lockdowns and so forth. Um, so he he says you're not news. He won't talk to you. He says I'm not credible. He won't talk to me. He <laughs> says Dwayne Pullman in Cincinnati isn't credible either. He won't let he won't talk to him, and he won't let him cover these events as well. And I'm just wondering, is there anybody that will uh, have access to Bob Paduchik that doesn't promise to kiss his ring and to kiss the ring of Mike DeWine?
8: <laughs> no, the answer is no, and. The question that arises from that, Bob, is who's the leader of the Republican Party in Ohio? Well, the highest elected official is, is Mike DeWine. So, Mike DeWine, if you're listening, where are you on the First Amendment? Wh- where are you in honoring uh, a free and unbridled press? And, and how do you stand by and let the chairman of the ORP um, slander news sources and uh, keep them out of um, doing their work? It's just, um, you know, it's <laughs> it's unbelievable, Bob.
2: I thought I already answered that. Swamp. That's why. That's why. Because in, I mean, you're, you're going to ask Mike DeWine that question. You're going to have to wait for him to come up uh, from holding his breath underneath the swamp. I'll let him come up for air for a moment or two. Maybe you'll get an answer from him. But it is. It's swampy. It's dirty. It's disgusting. It's deceptive. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and that's the shame of it. As, oh, shame of it all. As I've said many times to you, Jack Windsor, and to our listeners. Um, where does a conservative go in this state? Where does a conservative go to be represented? If we can't count on the ORP and the Republican Party in this state to represent us, and we certainly could never count on the uh, Democrats to do such a thing, where does a conservative go? We cannot trust the guy in charge of the government. We cannot trust the guy in charge of the party. We cannot trust, uh, uh, you know, quite frankly, some of the some of the former leaders of the party as well. Uh, and it just kind of leaves us feeling homeless. I don't know about you, but I, I bet a lot of your readers are like a lot of my listeners. In fact, a lot of them probably cross over. They listen to me, and then they read on OhioPressNetwork.com uh, and read the, the stuff that you write. But a lot of us feel like there's just nobody to speak for us right now.
8: I, I couldn't have put it any better, Bob. We hear that time and time again. Where do we go? Who do we support? Um, because at the end of the day, it, it, it feels like, um, there 's always a door behind the door right there 's always something there 's always somebody pulling the string uh, and you know frankly here 's what i 'll say and i 'll try to end this on a positive uh, we 've covered the state central committee um, for about two calendar years now, and that 's great but it, it, prior to that, if you talk to a lot of voters around the state of ohio, most people don 't know what the state central committee is they didn 't know what it what it was and and why it 's important so Maybe things aren't changing as rapidly as they would want, but I think, um, you know, I think the average voter, the person who wants to pay attention and make a change, I think they're equipped with a lot more information now, and things may not be as they want them to be, um, but I think they know who the people are. I think they know what the process is, and, you know, awareness is the first step to change, right? So now with that awareness, it'll be interesting to see how people respond because there are a lot of really upset people about how things have been run over the past couple of years.
2: Well, I think you nailed it. You're right. Awareness uh, is 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 key here. You know, you've got to expose things to the sunlight. Expose some of this, uh, uh, these uh, backroom deals and these relationships and so on and so forth for what they are. They're personal in nature. They are self-promoting in nature. They are for self-gain, uh, uh, and and quite frankly, that sells out to people. So you're right. We got to expose it, and make people aware, and that is a good thing. And that is a good way to end the conversation. Jack Windsor, uh, terrific stuff. Uh, read him and read uh, his staff on OhioPressNetwork.com. Uh, great stuff there on the uh, endorsement of J.D. Vance by Donald Trump. Great stuff on the decision by uh, Maureen O'Connor to once again stab the voters of the state of Ohio in the back by not allowing the uh, reduced districts to be drawn fairly. And, uh, and terrific stuff on uh, the state of corruption in the ORP. Jack Windsor, thank you. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Bob. Have a
8: blessed day. Talk All to right. you soon.
2: Check him out. It's uh, ohiopressnetwork.com. You can visit that right after you visit alwayswrite.us. I make great use, by the way, of Jack's site because mine is a news aggregator, not a reporter. And I will pull the best and most important stories from the very best sites and put them on alwayswrite.us for your ease and convenience. And right now you can see some of Jack's great work there at alwayswrite.us. Okay, we'll take a time out here. Jack went overtime with us. We will uh, keep the rest of the show for you. 216-901-0945 888-281-1110 216-901-0945 888 1110 I'll go back to this morning's first question Does Donald Trump's endorsement of J.D. Vance move you in any direction? Does it make you more likely to vote for Vance? Less likely to vote for Vance? Does it solidify your belief in somebody else? How do you feel about that endorsement which has rankled a lot of people, ruffled a lot of feathers uh, in the Ohio Republican Party? So we'll take your calls right after this. Always right, radio. Eleven twenty seven, AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks for being with us on Always Right Radio. Thanks again to Jack Windsor for some terrific analysis and very important news. Bob Paduchik tried to go and twist Donald Trump's arm in New Jersey to get him to support Jane Timken in the Senate. Bob Paduchik's political future is, is and was dependent upon getting Jane Timken into the Senate and Mike DeWine to stay in the governor's seat. Bob Paducic isn't working for the ORP. He's working for the people who put the ORP in its place, the leaders in the State Central Committee. He's working for himself and his hand-picked um, politicians, his hand-picked uh, right and left arms, if you will. And that's that's exactly how we know we cannot trust where the ORP is leading us. Tanya's in Akron on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Tanya, go ahead. Hey,
9: good morning, Bob. Uh, good, good show today, great information Uh, I guess my point is going to be we can't expect five or six leaders in the Ohio in our our elected leaders to make sure the Republican Party is running right. You know, the endorsements are going to the right people. We have to start doing something. So my first thing is I'm actually going to be going to the training for the Board of Elections for Summit County. Good for you. That's awesome. Okay, because what that means is that Mm. when people come to vote, Republicans come to vote, they will see someone there other than an old white male. They'll see a black female. Okay? And we have to have the courage to get out of our houses and do things and show up. So when someone like Donald Trump endorses a J.D. Vance, we still vote on our values. But we're still smart enough to try to figure out who can win. But we want to vote for the person that can win, that's closest to our values, who can beat Orion. So we so, don't have to deal with John. So, are you, are you, am do. I hearing
2: you correctly, Tanya? Are you saying you agree with President Trump's endorsement? Yes. Okay. And that's fine. Yes. That's what I'm asking for because I think, as I said to a previous caller way back in hour number one that president mm-hmm. trump 's message in that endorsement wasn 't so much "This guy is the greatest thing in the world, but it 's this is the guy who can beat ryan i 've more confidence in him being able to stand up toe to toe with Ryan and win than I do some of the other ones, even though they may be more conservative and have never bad mouthed me the way uh, uh, Vance has this is the This is the best bet for winning
9: and I, and I guess too is that all the things that we 're talking about that j d does well. It's all the things that other Republicans should know how to do well. You should know how to speak on the issues without being 20 minutes before we know what you're talking about. We should know that no one wants to hear bites. Give us the information. So I don't blame Trump as much as I blame the other candidates by not bringing their A game, bringing their B-plus game and think we're going to buy it again. Well, we I'll, tell you, I'll tell no you this market.
2: though. Let me let me let me push back on that just super quick. Okay, Mitt Romney's really good at that. He's a terrific guy at getting to his point, speaking in sound bites. Do we like the way he's, he, he votes in the United States Senate? I absolutely do not. There there are some, and a lot of people call J D. Vance Mitt Vance, or they're calling him J D. Romney because they see a guy who's smooth, slick. Polished, says the right thing, knows how to make a point, knows how to deliver in a debate, and, and yet when, he go, when it comes to his decision-making, we can't trust what it's, what's at its core. So I think there's something we have to be careful of. It's one thing about bringing your game and knowing how to make your point in, in a soundbite and not needing 20 minutes, but you know what? I'll take a guy, if it takes him 20 minutes to make the right decision, to make the right decision, rather than the guy who can say something slick in 60 seconds, but I don't know what he's going to do when he actually makes his, his decision on a vote.
9: Okay, can I can I throw some kickback at you? Super quick. Okay, whose responsibility is to hold them accountable? It's ours. Yeah,
2: yeah yours okay? and mine.
9: It's freaking ours. It's freaking ours. And when we don't go out and vote, we don't do this. We don't. We don't stand up and show people that we're going to be one hundred percent behind them because they have our values. It's us. I'm not talking about just the people that call your radio show. They're diehard. I'm talking about people who. Say yeah, I really don't like that, but you know I'm going to do this. I'm talking about Black Americans. I'm talking about Hispanics. It's time for us to get out and not be afraid of our friends and family and saying we're voting back. The one close enough to do it and the one that can win because we have to win. On that,
2: Tanya, on that I agree with you a thousand percent. I'm going to let you go there. Thanks so much for the phone call. News time now. We wrap. Uh, Final segment coming rather after this.
0: upside down and the majority turns to the left turn to the right always right with Bob France on a.m. 1420 the answer I think the reason that Trump supports J.D. Vance is that there's some big donor in the background that said he would push Vance in the general election if Trump got him through the primaries Uh, Trump's letter several times talked about how much money the, the Democrats will put behind it. And I think that's what he's looking at is big money coming from somewhere that he doesn't want to be to reveal to Republicans before the primary vote. Thanks.
2: Thank you, Conrad in Middleburg Heights, for that message at alwaysright.us, And that somebody is, is very clearly going to be Peter Thiel. Peter Thiel, who backs J.D. Vance. Peter Thiel, who started as one of the... uh, It was a massively successful hedge fund manager, uh, but who started on Facebook, or was one of those who started Facebook with a huge investment in Mark Zuckerberg's uh, uh, new project, and um, made billions. Uh, And he is a massive, massive donor of J.D. Vance. Uh, Supports him by way of a super PAC. And um, I I suspect you're right. I, I guarantee you nobody's getting... The Donald Trump endorsement without being able to prove that they will have the funds and resources and ability in the long haul to win the general election. And that's why, again, another reason why when you look at his letter in in, uh, endorsing J.D. Vance, um, he talks about um, the amount of money that the Democrats are going to have to spend. His best chance for victory, or excuse me, he is our best chance for victory, he said, in what could be a very tough race, the Democrats will be spending many millions of dollars. But the good news is that they don't or that they have a defective candidate who ran for president and garnered exactly 0% in the polls. But the point is, they're going to spend millions to win that seat. I need somebody who's going to be able to match them dollar for dollar, and JD Vance has got that. Now, one could argue also well, does Mike Gibbons. And he doesn't need Peter Thiel because he's um self-funded and he's got enough money to run the the race in the long haul, haul as well. Uh, some might, you know, look at some of the other candidates and say they're very well healed as well. But in Donald Trump's mind, here's a guy who's going to have the funds to who can put forth uh, the fight against the Democrats to win that seat in the general, and a guy who's very slick and polished on the debate stage and looks like he's, you know, would be, um, you know, may maybe have good may have good crossover appeal to moderate voters, to centrist or center right uh, voters. And that uh, maybe some of the other ones, others wouldn't have that appeal. Maybe that's where he's going with this. Conrad, great message. I appreciate that. Thanks so much. Let me go uh, to the phones again. And this was going to be... How about Brett in Worcester? Brett, go ahead. You're on the air.
5: Good morning, Bob. How are you today?
2: I'm good, Brett. What's on your mind, sir?
5: Well, um, I was undecided until last week when you had... I forget who it was. talked about the Republican candidates and the endorsements. And uh, he mentioned that the two true conservatives were Bob Gibbs and uh, and Josh Mandel. They you mean Mike
2: You mean, you mean Mike Gibbs? Yeah, yeah. Bob yes, Gibbs yes. actually was in the seventh uh, in the uh, seventh district race. He just dropped out as the incumbent on the House side. But, yes, you're, you're thinking of Tom Zawistowski. He's the one who came on and it. explained his reason for endorsing through the We the People convention Mike Gibbons. But go ahead.
5: Exactly. Mm-hmm. J.D. Vance, you know, I was leaning towards him. Mm-hmm. just because of the slick ads, and I thought that maybe there was something to him. And then the endorsement over this weekend uh, by or this last week of both Dr. Oz and J.D. Vance by Trump just totally perplexed me, because I know Oz is not, uh, by any stretch of the imagination, a true conservative. so I it just And I'm a Trump supporter. I've been a Trump supporter, you know, from day one. And uh, it just really perplexed me and wondered where this was going. And your explanation just clarified that for me. But uh, I, I just I just don't understand why that was.
2: So, are you more likely to vote for JD Vance now that President Trump has made this no. call? No, or or you no, I'm not.
5: It, okay. Yeah, I'm so still with Gibbons or Mandel, and you know, I like Gibbons better than Mandel, just because I think he's more of a conservative. I, it, although I'll I'll take Mandel.
2: Okay. Well, I appreciate that, Brett. and I'm glad you I'm glad you uh, you, you brought that up. Thanks for the phone call. Um, that you know, I'm torn here and I'm torn there, and and I might have been thinking about Vance, but then I hear that Vance got endorsed right after Dr. Oz, and I know Dr. Oz is no is no conservative, and it makes me wonder, you know, what what is going on here with Trump. I support Trump, but there's got to be something here, and maybe, like I said, that's the answer. And you know, and I'll I'll be honest with you, I too am moderately torn because of the fact that I want the most conservative person sitting in that seat. But if the most conservative person can't win the general, now what have I got? I've got Tim Ryan over there in that seat, changing the balance of power. So there's a real difficult thing to figure out for all of us here. Gary is in Bria. Gary, go right ahead.
3: Hey, Bob. Hey, I was a delegate in
7: 2016 for Trump. Just got a letter from Rob Scott, who is the director for the Trump campaign in Ohio. And uh, I can—it's—it's—it's it's, it's very long, but I'll read the very first
3: portion for you. It says, "We, your original Ohio 2016 RNC designated delegates and members of the 2016 Ohio
7: Electoral College, are sending the below correspondence to express our extreme displeasure and feeling of betrayal on your endorsement of J.D. Vance for Ohio Senate."
5: And it goes into saying, hey, we were the first one. Gary, I've got a a
2: jet here because I'm coming up against the buzzer at the end of the show. But I'm, I'm glad you called to tell me that. And I will bring this opposition up tomorrow when I talk to J.D. Vance exclusively tomorrow morning, 935. Make sure you are tuned in and we'll talk to J.D. Vance, the Trump endorsed candidate. Everyone have a great day. Let's go, Brandon